Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. I teach linguistics at Columbia University. My latest books are Words on the Move and Talking Back, Talking Black. But my latest favorite project is doing these podcasts. And this week, let's delve into something which, frankly, it seems like we just have to do, given the times that we live in, for so many reasons. Let's talk about Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton the musical. Our episode today will include and be dominated by an interview with Neil Whitman, linguistics blogger extraordinaire, who's been listening to the cast album with a linguist's ear. We will meet him soon. And the way we're going to approach this is with something that Hamilton actually can teach us more about than it could seem. Those words, usually little, that seem to not mean anything. Well, horses run faster. What did well mean? If you think about it, the well implies that you're listening to what somebody else said, but you're gently contradicting it. So, well, horses run faster, as in you're talking about how fast cheetahs are when technically horses, frankly, I don't know which one of those animals runs faster, but you take my point. Or, so that's what happened. What's the so? It's not just a hiccup, as people often thought. What does the so mean? I'll leave you to think about the fact that it has a meaning. There's a reason that you say so. You don't just say it because you don't know what you're about to say. It's there. Or this is from the New York Times just a few days ago. It's that wonderful feature, New York Today, where you learn what the weather is going to be right after you wake up, or at least that's how I use it. So the wind will make it feel as nippy as the teens as you head to work. But hey, at least the sun will stay out. Catch it if you can. What's that little but hey, if you think about it? Well, hay means, hey, there's a raccoon in the trash can. And that is one thing that hay can mean. But if it's, the wind will make it feel as nippy as the teens as you head to work. But hey, at least the sun will stay out. That's not, hey, the sun's out. That's not the point. That but hay means something else. It's things like that. It's things like the well, the so the hay in this but hay construction, these things where it'd be highly elusive to explain to a foreigner what these things meant. They seem to even stretch the boundaries of what we consider meaning to be. And yet, if you don't use these little words, you're not really speaking the language. It makes you Siri or a profoundly unusual human being. These things are called, according to some linguistics traditions, discourse particles. Another sentence with the hay. It's about this new thing with dinosaurs, where the two different clans of dinosaurs have been reassorted. This is from the Tetrapod Zoology blog, Darren Nash's wonderful blog. I recommend it to everybody, even if you're not interested in tetrapods and dinosaurs. He said recently, it has something of a theropod feel about it. Hey, maybe this is now totally okay and actually correct. Once again, it's not, hey, I am amazed that. What that hay means, and so does the but hay, that means that something has a downside 
but there's actually an upside. And so the wind will make it feel as nippy as the teens as you head to work. That's no good. But hey, at least the sun will stay out. There's that upside. So whenever you say, but hey, what you mean is I acknowledge that something had a downside, but there's actually an upside. You don't think of it, but that's the nature of language. One other thing about hey, just to give you a sense of how elusive and yet how interesting these meanings can be. Hey is always shifting around in American English. And so, for example, if you read Fitzgerald, you notice that hey actually meant in many cases what huh means today. So this is 1920. Fitzgerald has a short story, May Day. Here's a sequence from it. Peter turned to Dean. Beautiful morning, he said gravely, squinting up his owlish eyes. Probably is. Go get some breakfast, hey? Dean agreed with additions. Breakfast and liquor. So go get some breakfast, hey? If you notice, nobody would say that today. It's go get some breakfast, huh? Not go get some breakfast, hey? Or 1912, further back, a luckless Santa Claus, a trampish character says, eh, trying to kid me, hey? Today it would be, eh, trying to kid me, huh? Not, hey. Here is, finally, an actual clip of somebody using hey in a way that you would never hear today. This is from Lucille Ball's hit radio sitcom right before she basically saw her life turn around with the I Love Lucy television show. It's called My Favorite Husband. All of it still exists. It's all online. And for those of you who have seen each I Love Lucy episode 50 times and have had enough of that, you can listen to proto I Love Lucy, almost as entertaining, on the radio in the late 40s and early 50s. Listen to this little sequence from one episode of My Favorite Husband in 1948. I happen to be talking on this line. I don't hear anyone talking on the other end. Of course not. The doctor's just listening. I'm being psychoanalyzed, hey. <laughs> no, I've heard everything. She's being psychoanalyzed, hey. Hmm. This I gotta hear. And every night I dream about Joe DiMaggio, doctor. I dream he picks me up and swings me around. What does that mean? Ah. <laughs> Joe DiMaggio picks me up and swings me around. It means you look like an old bat. <laughs> Bessie Budinsky is back again. Butt out, you. Now, let's see, Doctor. What else was there to tell you? Um... Oh, yeah, Doctor. I meant to tell you I won't be able to pay you anymore, hey. Hey! Hey, I didn't say that. Doctor! Doctor Lassvogel! I've never heard a real live person use hey that way. And of course, the Lucy people were trying to be funny. But one wonders. It's certainly possible. The Hamilton part is coming, believe me. And some of you may know why I am now going to make brief mention of another discourse particle, yo. We're most familiar with it in black English with, hey, them pants was tight, yo, or something like that. But, you know, it's interesting. These markers are always changing. Any human speech variety is dynamic. And it's interesting because I've learned from Neil Whitman just this week that yo has developed a completely unexpected meaning in black English in at least one place in the United States. And so Neil Whitman 
author's one of my favorite linguistics blogs. It's called Literal Minded. Neil has a gift for taking a look at linguistics topics that are actually going to be interesting to other people and making them interesting to other people. Neil, you're particularly good at not being too short, but not being too long. There's never a dip in the tension in one of your entries. I highly recommend Literal Minded. Neil, what's going on in Baltimore with yo, of all things? First, thanks for your introduction. You're too kind. I think you're referring to the research of Margaret Troyer, Hmm. a former Baltimore area teacher, and she found that yo is being used as a gender-neutral third-person pronoun, much like many of the rest of us are now using they or them. So how would they use this pronoun? So when she would do a test showing kids a picture of cartoon characters of ambiguous gender, Troyer found the kids use yo instead of he or she. So, for example, they said things like, yo put his foot on the desk. And it says they also used yo as a substitute even when they did not know the gender, quoting from this uh, code switch write-up. And so English changes, as always, and in ways you might not even expect. And so a discourse particle becomes a pronoun. Okay, so we've looked at hey and we've looked at yo. And so that is a transition into Neil, Hamilton, Lexicon Valley, discourse particles. What is the connection between all these things? What's going on with discourse particles in Hamilton? It all started last year when I bought the cast recording of Hamilton for my wife, but pretty soon it showed up in all of our mobile devices and and the CD itself spent some time in the car for the next few months. CD. We listened to it a lot, yeah. (laughs) So so one of the songs on there uh, near the beginning is My Shot. Perhaps you've heard it. Position, show me where the ammunition is. Nobody's heard that one. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful song. <laughs> yeah, it's where Hamilton explains his desire that will shape the rest of the story, and the chorus goes uh, like this. So it's the hey yo in there that pricked up your ears. Well, actually. The first time I listened to it, what pricked up my ears was uh, his rhyming of hungry with country, which is rather daring, <laughs> I thought. But uh, but by the end of the song, I was also noticing that you know that line didn't begin with, I'm just like my country. It was, hey, yo, I'm just like my country. Mm-hmm. And it was that way every single time the chorus came around. Just for some variation, he might have said, yeah, I'm just like my country. But every time, no, it was just, hey, yo. And I started to wonder if maybe hey and yo were fusing together and sort of becoming a, a single word here, as words do, as you've noted on this very program. Right. And certainly, of course, hey is still its own word. They use it on its own quite a bit in the rest of the play. 1780, oh, ball, and the Skylar sisters are the envy of all. Yo, if you could marry a sister, your rich son, is it a question of if, ber, or which one? And there's plenty of yo's on their own, five of them in a row just minutes earlier from the character of uh, John Lawrence when he interrupts the conversation between Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Yo, 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 what time is it? Showtime! Like I said. Showtime, showtime, yo, I'm John Lawrence in the But the question is whether hey-yo in particular is becoming a thing. Because if it were just random, then you might think that 
say one chorus of that at one point on the album would be hey yo but then elsewhere maybe people would shout something else but they don't as you show in the yorktown sequence for example where you have hey yo in exactly the same place with the chorus singing it so what happens if we win i go back to france i bring freedom to my people if i'm given the chance we'll be with you when you do go lead your man see you on the other side till we meet again and so it isn't just something random that the actor playing Hamilton sticks in or there's a little blank in the script or something like that. It's set in your blog post where you describe all this so well. And folks, it's very much worth a read. There's another hey yo that you show, Neil. Which one was that? In between uh, Yorktown and my shot earlier, we're introduced to General George Washington in the song Right Hand Man. He storms on the stage explaining you know, how in what dire straits the Continental Army is. And this is where he convinces Hamilton that his talents would be better used as George Washington's personal assistant than as a soldier or, or even a, a commander. Here he comes. Here comes the general. Ladies and gentlemen. Here comes the general. The moment you've been waiting for. Here comes the general. The pride of Mount Vernon. Here comes the general. It's Washington. We are outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. We gotta make an all out stand. Hey yo, I'm gonna need a right hand man. Can I be real a second? There's that hey yo again. Yeah, so uh, I heard him say, hey, yo, I'm going to need a right-hand man. As I was sitting in the passenger seat on a road trip looking through the liner notes, I immediately noticed that here, A-O, really was spelled as one word. And in fact, it was spelled A-Y-O, no H, just A-O, one Y. So I said, okay, there it is. You know, it is definitely being perceived as uh, one word, at least sometimes. Right. And then a few songs later in Yorktown, when they do the chorus to My Shot again, looking in the liner notes, you see that there it's no longer spelled Hey Yo, it's spelled Ayo, like in Right Hand Man. And that to me was the clincher, like, okay, that's it. Before I might have said, well, maybe there's some subtle difference between these two Ayos that is just, you know, going over my head. But <laughs> that was when I said, okay, no, no, we're definitely talking about the same word here, a uh, piece of language that's not part of the standard language yet, so it's not subject to the pressures of spelling standardization. And Neil, I think as linguist types, you and I see heyo being spelled something like ayo where you lose a sound and it makes us stand up and take notice we feel like something is happening that phonological reduction means something doesn't it It makes you start thinking about certain things happening yeah i mean h is a phonologically weak sound anyway i mean it's always disappearing and reappearing i mean if you've taken spanish you've had to learn not to pronounce uh, the h's at the beginning of words Mm -hmm. if you've ever had an argument about whether something is unhistoric occasion or a historic occasion, you get a sense of how H does this. Mm -hmm. People are putting it in, not putting it in. When they spell it, they're spelling it as they hear it, mm -hmm. and it hasn't settled into some sort of standardized spelling yet. There's certainly that, and I find myself thinking actually about goodbye of all things. And no, we are not at the end, but what I mean is that when you have that kind of reduction, it is very often a sign that the meaning is changing or a new meaning is conventionalizing. And so God be with you is originally what people are saying during leave taking. And then it becomes God be with you. God be with you. 
Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. And it becomes goodbye, which has a completely different meaning. When somebody waves bye or even says bye bye, that has nothing to do with the good Lord accompanying you. And it's that phonological squidging together that's a sign that there's this new habit that's forming and the meaning is changing. What is this, Heyo? Where does it come from? As for where it came from, I would sort of take the null hypothesis to be that, oh, well, it's simply the interjection, hey, followed by the interjection, yo. And it must have started and, that way, right? Yeah. And then after that, well, and it just happened to be said together often enough, then it starts to be heard as one word and then can start to drift in its own directions. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering how many spelling variations there were, and I eventually mapped them all out in a chart, you know, and came up with 64 possibilities based on just a few spelling decisions I was thinking about to begin with. I started looking for all of them to see what meanings there were out there. I I found 21 of them attested. Many of the entries were Urban Dictionary entries, which, of course, you always have to take with a grain of salt, but mostly they agreed with, you know, what I'd been seeing already about a greeting or just sort of a pay-attention focusing device, uh, a discourse particle that does that. But for hey-o, spelled hey hyphen o, it says, uh, something said after a conversational phrase that could be interpreted as a sexual reference is said. And then the sample conversation here they give is, John, dude, did you do the bio assignment? Mark, yes, that was so hard it kept me up all night. John, hey-o, hashtag, that's what she said. And this is by a, a user named a Texas Lone Star 21 back in 2009. Actually, Neil, this is interesting because I think we can put these uses of hey on a kind of timeline. I always want to know what was the process where we got from there to here. You know, Bugs Bunny starts as a little white rabbit who goes <laughs> and gradually becomes the Bugs Bunny that we know. You mentioned hey as a greeting, and it can be used as a greeting, and you might think in the most immediate sense, that hey and yo put together would be a way of saying hi. And you can actually see it used that way in a show I'll bet a lot of us watch. I have seen every episode, love it to pieces. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, although I should say that there is a marked paucity of Philadelphia accents on the show. But it's always sunny in Philadelphia is a show where the characters actually use hey yo as a greeting regularly, as we can hear in, for example, this montage. Bitches. Hey oh! Hey oh! Hey oh! What's up, bitches? What is up? Hey oh, it's Mac. What's up? Hey oh! What's Hey oh! What's up, bitches? Hey oh! What's Hey oh! Is that Charlie? Charlie's in the house. Charlie's in the house. Hey, hey! And then I find myself thinking of a little sequence in the movie Sister Act where Kathy Najimy, playing that wonderful comic nun, at one point offers to help fix Whoopi Goldberg's habit with some scotch tape. And I forget exactly how it went because I haven't seen it since then. But she says, well, we can do it with a little bit of help from God and some scotch tape. And she pulls up some tape and she says, hello. I think analogously to that might be this this gay heyo, where the idea is you take something that's a greeting that's supposed to freshen things up, it's supposed to acknowledge that something has come into the room, someone, and you make it something that comes into the room by saying heyo. And among many things that you might say that heyo about, you might have scotch tape and also one of these erection jokes or something like that. Does that make sense to you? 
You know, you mentioned the, the homosexual connection, and I noticed that as a little bit of semantic narrowing, because, you know, the first definition yes. just said anything that could be interpreted as sexual. Right. But, for example, here's an urban dictionary. It says, Ayo said after someone says something that may be considered gay or suspect. Mm-hmm. Another way of saying no homo. And then a the little sample conversation, guy one. Man, I could sure go for a hot dog right now. I'm not sure where the craving came from. It just kind of came in my mouth. Guy two, ayo. Maybe I don't get out much, but I've never heard anybody <laughs> use it in these meetings. Well, have, have you? So, yeah, this is not an example in the wild yet. It's another urban dictionary <laughs> definition. So that's when I started looking for various combinations of possible double entendres plus different spellings of heyo. So I was doing searches like, you know, so hard, heyo, get off, heyo. Neil, we have really good jobs, don't we? Continue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, here we go. So uh, being a hot gay guy is just so hard, heyo. Like, women have no idea how easy they have it. And that's spelled hey hyphen yo. And then here's one just spelled H-E-Y-O. I suggest you all get off, hey-yo, this planet as soon as possible. Most excellent of all, I was telling my sons about this research I was doing. And then a couple weeks ago, my older son, Doug, comes home and tells me about a conversation that he had with friend one and friend two for some class project he was doing where he had to interview somebody. So Doug said, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing Mr. Smith. And friend one said something like, ha, 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 you're doing Mr. Smith. <laughs> and friend two said, hey That was the first <laughs> spoken I'd heard of it, even right. though it was you know, Doug's recounting of his friend's speech. But it illustrated something that also shows up in that Always Sunny in Philadelphia montage he played, the stress shift. So compound words, you know, very often they get the stress shifted onto uh, the initial syllable. You did a whole episode on this all the written examples, you can't really tell where the stress goes. And even hearing it in songs, you're not entirely sure because the meter of the song will sometimes distort how the word is pronounced. And so when I heard that, that was not only an example of this sexual innuendo caller outer heyo, but also a confirmation of the stress shift. One thing that we should get in, we certainly can't miss the sexual part, but how does Ed McMahon fit into all of this? Because I suspect that he is a part of the puzzle. So I have Ben Zimmer to thank for the McMahon connection here. Ben pointed out that when uh, Johnny got off some sort of uh, insult or zinger against the guest, Ed would jump in with, Hi-oh! Not hey-oh, but... I believe that Jeffrey Tambor's character on the wonderful Larry Sanders show was doing a takeoff on this hi-oh with the hey-now that that character would do, as a matter of fact. In any case, so that's how Ed McMahon fits in, in that I don't think there was anything sexual intended, but it was certainly a long way from just a greeting that you would come up with walking through a door. It meant something along the lines of something just happened that was viscerally compelling, and you could narrow that into it being about sex as well. And so hey means one thing, yo means another. But it seems to me that it's a way of indicating sincerity along the lines of the fact that when we speak, we're always interested in showing that we really mean what we say. And we tend to sprinkle our spoken language with indications of that basic sincerity and commitment.
And so it seems that if you say, hey, yo, you're certainly not saying, hey, I've noticed something. When you say, yo, you're not saying, I'm trying to get your attention by pulling you by the collar. It's settled down into meaning something along the lines of, this is important. I really mean it. Well, Neil, this is absolutely fascinating. Frankly, I've listened to the Hamilton cast album, not as much as I would like because I have two small children myself, but I have listened to it quite a bit. And the last thing I was thinking about was discourse particles. I was just listening through the heyos and I didn't think about the fact that there is in Hamilton with everything else that's in it, science. I didn't know that there was a whole lot linguistically interesting about it. And yet you and I both know that we could go on. But thank you. Neil, for coming on. I'm glad you brought this up back in the fall, and I'm glad that we have actually been able to do it. Folks, Neil Whitman's blog is literal-minded. I highly recommend it, not just this entry, but go backwards, and you'll learn about all sorts of things. I would say that a couple of my shows have actually been sparked or influenced by Neil's blog work. Thank you so much, Neil. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Before we close, um, letters, letters, I get letters. I am informed by somebody that I did not mention that with tomato and the way it was sometimes deformed into tomata in earlier American English and how tomato really was a deformation from Spanish tomate influenced by potato, that really the story begins with the Spanish taking tomate from an original Nahuatl, that's the indigenous language spoken in Mexico, which was threatened by Spanish entering. Originally, it was tomatol. Now, you can imagine being a Spaniard, you certainly don't want to say that. And so it's going to be something like tomate. So the deformation originally began with Spanish speakers. I didn't mention that before, partly because there are time limits and partly because I feel more comfortable criticizing speakers of my own language for screwing up other ones than jumping on Spaniards. But I'm sure that Spaniards will understand. And we do need to acknowledge indigenous languages in the Americas, especially since so very many of them are on the brink of extinction. And they were every bit as interesting, every bit as complex as languages that most of us are more familiar with. Also, on Hay, we heard Lucy and that other character actress saying, so I'm going to have to go tomorrow, Hay. Anybody who's listening who has had the benefit of a very long life, do you remember probably vernacular Northeasterners in the United States using hay in that way? Not, hey, there's a baseball game over on the other side of the fence. Not, where's the lamp? Hey, not that, but hay without that emphasis. So we're going to go over and see the baboons, hey, or so you're not interested in me anymore, hey. That little hay where it's down on the intonation contour in that way. Did people actually use hay that way? Or is that just something that the writers of that radio episode were doing as kind of a joke? Because they do that in another My Favorite Husband episode, too. And it makes the audience laugh. Was it real? I'd love to know if you're probably 80 or older. Did anybody talk that way? In any case, you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at Lexicon Valley. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. The show is edited by Mike Volo. I'm John McWhorter. 
Thank you so much for listening and see you back here in two weeks. Hey, hey, hey.